Hey, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of The Stone Table. My name is Travis. I'm the teaching pastor here at Baylife Church. And I'm Mickey, and I am one of the worship arts coordinators here at Baylife. And we are super excited about some of the guests that are going to be coming on the show in the next couple months. As we turn our attention towards the holiday season, we're going to be sitting down in November with Christy Purifoy, who's the author of a book called Placemaker, to talk about the theme of hospitality. And then as we look towards Advent, we'll be sitting down with our friend Reggie Kidd from the Cathedral of St. Luke's in Orlando to talk about the season of Advent and its history throughout uh, the church age. And so we're so excited about those things that we've got coming up. But we personally have something coming up this week. In a handful of days, we're getting married. (laughs) Which is super, super exciting. And so with the wedding looming and us kind of running around frantic trying to get things done... (laughs) We decided maybe this week what would be best instead of bringing a guest on is just for us to sit down and talk through some of the things that have been on our mind and have been the topic of our conversations as we look towards this season ahead. Yeah, so as we have been preparing for marriage uh, in this season that we've been in, uh, a lot of our conversations have revolved around the season that's coming up, which is the holiday season, and the differences in our traditions and the things that we've individually done with our families and what it'll look like for us as we merge into a new family Mm -hmm. and the sort of new traditions that we create and what that'll look like for us. And so we realized as we've had these conversations, one of the, the central themes that we've sort of landed on as a common ground for the traditions that we bring to the table is the table itself, the mm-hmm. meal times that we share with our families and our loved ones, and the significance of those moments, and what it means for us as believers uh, to recognize the significance of the meal times that we spend with our families, and how does the gospel speak to the things of fellowship, of community, and the time spent around the table. Exactly. And yeah. the time spent around the table. And I mean, especially with the holidays coming up, every everybody's going to be sitting down mm-hmm. around a table for Thanksgiving dinner, for Christmas dinner, the countless Christmas parties coming up. And gosh, I know as you and I have had these conversations, uh, it's, it's also come at the tail end of me chasing a, a theological rabbit trail around the topic of the theology of food. Like by now, you know this about me mm-hmm. that I get, <laughs> I get obsessed with like certain topics mm-hmm. and I just read everything I can on it. And probably like probably a year or two ago, I was reading a book by an Episcopal priest and she was just going through the, the structure of her day and talking about how the Lord met with her at each of these points. And she had a, a chapter on dinner time. And in the footnote, she referenced all of these books uh, about a theology of food and being the total nerd that I am. Um, I said, I've never even thought about a theology of food. And so I, I went through, I went through the bibliography of that chapter and I just ordered all of the books from it on Mm -hmm. Amazon and started reading about just thinking biblically and theologically about the topic of eating Mm -hmm. and about food and mealtime and sharing a meal at a table with people. And actually That may seem a little bit out there, but when you start to drill down, the Bible actually has a lot to say about food and its theological significance. Yeah. So what does the Bible say about food (laughs) and its significance? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think as with anything, you you begin at the beginning. And what we see in Genesis chapter one is that God creates this good world and he gives man and woman who he's created 
food. He, he gives them, I mean, you see it again in Genesis 2, it's repeated that every seed-bearing plant is given to us for food. And so I, I think that maybe the most important thing to grasp at the beginning is that eating is not something that's the result of the fall, but mm-hmm. food and eating is part of God's good creation. Mm-hmm. In many ways, food is a gift that God gives to us. And yet, it's something that is corrupted by sin, like every other good gift that God gives right. to us in the beginning. You, you see it in Genesis 3 that when, when God speaks to Adam, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In thorns and thistles shall you labor and toil to produce food. And so food is this good thing that God has given us, but it is corrupted by sin in the same way that all other things are corrupted by sin as a result of the fall. And we sort of feel this naturally. I, I think about one of the books that I read over the last year was a book by a feminist author named Roxane Gay called Hungry. And it is a, it's a memoir of her life, and she suffered this terrible trauma during her childhood, and she turned to food as a, a way of coping with her pain. And so while food is a good thing, it has been disordered, and our relationships have with food have been disordered by sin, and yet there's still goodness to it. Sin can't totally do away with the goodness of food. Yeah, so I I totally agree with that. Um, What are some of the ways that food remains good, and how does the Bible speak to that? Yeah, um, so I mean, obviously the Bible says a lot about fasting, which is abstaining from food, and, and there's a sense in which choosing to not eat is a spiritual act that's all throughout the Old and New Testament, but One of the neglected disciplines, I think, in the Christian life is the discipline of feasting, which is, in essence, what we do when we come together for Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for these holidays. Um, In in the Old Testament, God gives Israel multiple feast days that they're supposed to celebrate throughout their year, the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of Booths, the Festival of Trumpets. But maybe it's important to just look at the Festival of Unleavened Bread, What we see in Leviticus is that God gives Israel sort of instructions for how they're to celebrate this feast day. And the first thing that they're supposed to do is to take the first fruits of their harvest Mm -hmm. and give it to the priest. And then the priest waves the sheaves of grain before the Lord. And that seems kind of like a strange ancient ritual, but in essence, it's this really scandalous thing because what they're essentially doing is taking all of their crops— And as they hold it out before the Lord, they're saying, ultimately, everything that we have, we have because you gave it to us. And then they celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And I think that gets at the difference between feasting and gluttony, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a, it's a fine line. Yeah. I was going to ask, what do you think defines that line? Because sin has distorted the goodness of everything that God has created Uh, in terms of food. What do you think is the line between gluttony and feasting? So um, I don't know that I can put a calorie count on right. it, right? It's not like once you cross 2,000 mm-hmm. calories, you've started being <laughs> gluttonous. And just being candid, gluttony is a struggle for me because yeah. I really love French fries. Me too. Uh, Checkers French fries in particular. Yeah, absolutely. Um, They're delicious. No, I think... The, I think the difference between feasting and gluttony is ultimately the posture of our hearts. Mm-hmm. It, it's where our heart is directed. You can eat a lot of food and it not really be feasting in the biblical sense. Because what we're ultimately doing when our hearts are not turned towards God is we're eating to fill a void. We're eating for our own sense of enjoyment. Right. We're eating to cover up pain. We're, we're eating just to be indulgent. But I think what we see even in the structure of Israel's 
festival of unleavened bread is that before they feast, they hold these things out before the Lord as if to say, all of this has come from you, and we're eating in this act of gratitude mm-hmm. for God's kindness. And so I think that's the difference. It's not how much you eat that that draws the line between feasting and gluttony, but it's where your heart is pointed as you eat. So when I think about what feasting looks like in the biblical sense with our hearts pointed toward uh, God's goodness and thanksgiving for his providence, I think about what that looks like practically in our lives and how we can how we can mirror that. And so it makes me think of the time early this year on Easter when we you and I had our friends over for dinner and everybody brought something to contribute to the meal. And so we sort of coined this meal time, this feast on Easter as Feaster. It's a brilliant marketing. It's so great. And yeah. it was such a great time. And and we opened up in prayer and we just spent that time um, thanking God for uh, his goodness and celebrating the risen King and followed by just sharing that meal together mm-hmm. that we each contributed to and just spending that time in fellowship uh, laughing and having conversation, um, but most of all, being joined together by the the event that we were celebrating, right. which was Easter, and right. it's and in a group of believers. I mean, this is the ultimate um, holiday for us, and so right. part of recognizing the significance of that time what was is marking it with food. Is marking it with food, which was. Uh, something that we all have in common yeah and, and it was such a wonderful time spent together um looking at what god has done what he is doing and what he will continue to do and that was so significant yeah absolutely um and i think too there's a sense in which in inviting people to the table to share to share a meal is also it's an evangelistic action as well like i i think about what happens to us every week when God invites us to the table of communion is that we were God's enemies uh, through sin and through alienation from him. And yet he, he deals with our guilt. He deals with our sin. And then he invites us to, to share a meal with him in the bread and in the cup. And in the same way, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but what does it look like for the tables of our homes Mm -hmm. to, show our non-believing friends and neighbors God's hospitality as we're hospitable and invite them into our homes around the table. Right. And that's something that we've talked through extensively as we sort of prepared for marriage and what we want our home to look like. And we've just seen over and over again the ways that God is hospitable to us and he has called us to be that way uh, to everybody. Mm. So we have talked through what it will look like for our table to be one where everyone's invited, whether it's uh, with close friends sharing joyful seasons or sorrowful ones, um, whether it's us discipling um, people who want to grow in the word and, and inviting people to our table who have questions and where there is freedom there to ask questions and, even if there are differences in our conversations, the common ground that we have is food. Right. And so 
having an inviting home and an inviting table. It, it mirrors what God has done to us, right? right? He's invited us to the table. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so significant. Um, the other thing I think about is, well, so I don't know if people know this or not, but we we stole the name for this show from mm-hmm. the Chronicles of Narnia, yes, uh, which is one of our favorite books. And in in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, there's a scene in which Aslan is on the move, and the the reign of the White Witch, who's terrorized Narnia and and kept it in a perpetual winter, her reign is coming to an end. It's not yet totally over. There's still snow on the ground, but the snow begins to melt. And all of the all of the animals of Narnia start to celebrate the fact that that Aslan is making things right. He's bringing springtime and new life. And the way that they celebrate this is by having a feast. And and the witch stumbles on these animals having a feast, and she's outraged because in feasting and celebrating the end of her reign, it's a it's a declaration of war. It's a way of saying that her time is up. And Andrew Peterson talks about this. He's a, a Christian musician and artist. He says that for us as Christians, that's a good picture of what happens when we feast, mm-hmm. that it's a, it's a declaration of war. It's a way of us gathering around the table, celebrating God's goodness and his provision, and recognizing that the power of sin is coming to an end as we await the, the coming of Christ. And so every time we gather around a table with other believers and celebrate God's kindness towards us and enjoy good food with good friends— in some way, we're declaring war against the kingdom of hell and recognizing that the snow on the ground is melting and Jesus is coming back to make things new. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a resource from Baylife Church. If you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor, rate, subscribe, and review. We are a new podcast, and so it really helps to get the word out. Also, be sure to tune in next time as we sit down with Christy Perifoy, the author of Placemaker, to talk about hospitality. For Baylife Church, I'm Travis, and this is The Stone Table. Hey, thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a resource from Baylife Church. And if you found it helpful, do us a favor, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are a new podcast. We are a new podcast. <laughs> <laughs>